All right, listen, guys, I get it. Many of you are unable to financially support this ministry because you're spending your cash and your lives on raising young children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Praise God for you and that endeavor. However, algorithms are a thing. Shadow banning, sadly, is a thing. And one major way that you can help to expand the reach and effectiveness of this ministry that doesn't cost you a dime is by spending just a few moments leaving us a five-star review. Also, perhaps even more effective than that, you can share our podcast with a friend. We hope you'll take the time to do so. Thank you so much. God bless. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. Now, the first problem that we have to deal with, what we might say is an apparent problem. There are no problems in the Word of God, but there are certain things that seem, they appear at first glance to be contradictions. The first one that we need to deal with, really the primary one that we need to deal with, is it our text, Hebrews 11, verse 27 says that Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, but Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, seems as though Moses was very afraid of the king. And that has to be reconciled before we can go any further. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15 says this, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. They were fighting each other. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He then answered, who made you? a prince and a judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, there it is, and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, there are a few ways of attempting to reconcile this apparent contradiction of Moses fleeing Egypt, not afraid of the king, versus Moses fleeing Egypt, very much afraid of the king. We see Moses fleeing out of fear for the king in Exodus chapter 2. But we see Moses fleeing Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king in Hebrews 11, 27. There are multiple options, but two that I want to focus our attention on. Number one, Moses chose to flee Egypt by faith without fear of Pharaoh when he led Israel out into the wilderness. That's one commentary, one interpretation of Hebrews eleven twenty seven, attempting to reconcile again that verse with what we find in Exodus chapter 2. So there are some biblical commentators and theologians who would say, how do we reconcile Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven leaving Egypt without fear of the king with Moses leaving Egypt in Exodus chapter 2 fearing the king? Well, some would say, well, he's leaving Egypt twice. That's how they would reconcile it. 
That's how they would deal with the apparent discrepancy. Moses originally fleed from Egypt for his life when he was found out that he had murdered, killed an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew slave. In this sense, he was fleeing Egypt fearfully with fear of the king. And that would be Exodus chapter 2. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, is not referencing that particular departure of Moses from Egypt, but rather is speaking of Moses once he has returned to Egypt and is now leaving with all of Israel, leading them out into the wilderness. And this time, Moses is fleeing Egypt without fear of the king. I think that that's a plausible interpretation and very likely may be the correct one. I'm not entirely sure, but I think that that's a fair and reasonable way to deal with the text. Here's another possibility. Moses made the choice to flee Egypt in the, mo the moment that he chose to kill the Egyptian slave master. In the moment, Moses made this decision without fear of Pharaoh, but then feared afterward the next day. This would be similar, if this is the case, to Elijah who fearlessly, as I referenced earlier, stood down the prophets of Baal, but then feared Jezebel the very next day. Now again, I'm not saying that the second option is definitively the correct way to read and understand the text. I think that it's completely probable, or at least possible, that the first option is the correct way of interpreting the text. That Exodus chapter 2 and Hebrews eleven twenty seven are speaking of two departures of Moses from Egypt. One, he departs in fear of the king. The other, once he's come back and rallied the troops, leaving with Israel out into the wilderness, in this instance, he is no longer afraid of the king. A perfectly reasonable way of reading the text, certainly the simplest way to reconcile this apparent contradiction, and I think very likely the accurate interpretation. But I want to deal with this second possibility. I'm not saying it is the correct interpretation, but I think it's possible. And nonetheless, it's certainly, if not exemplified in our text today with Moses, we certainly see this principle at work in other biblical texts, like Elijah would be an example, and we certainly see this principle at work in our own lives as well. What is the principle? The principle is in faith, fearlessly making a decision to stand for righteousness, to stand for truth, and to flee in whatever way that might be physically, geographically, leaving one place for another, or it might be simply fleeing the temptations and the promises and, and the temptations that the world holds out to us. Again, speaking of the world as the evil demonic system under Satan's rule. The, the world that we are called not to love, but rather to reject. The world that is characterized by the boastful pride of life, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. There, there are times where we flee from these things, we refuse these things, we reject the world. And we do so in faith, fearlessly. And then a few moments later, perhaps the next day, perhaps the next year, 
But we begin to experience the threat of the implications of our prior courage. I'll say that again. Sometimes we make a decision in true gospel, biblical courage. And we do it fearlessly in faith. But then the implications or the the tangible, practical consequences of that previous act of courage are now being felt. And we suddenly are, are ridden with great fear. This is precisely what happens in the case of Elijah. Elijah goes head to head with with all the prophets of Baal and with Jezebel, the queen at the time, married to Ahab. And Elijah, he he orchestrates a public spectacle. And, And it's not like he's just doing the bare minimum. I mean, Elijah's he's really milking the situation. I don't know if it was necessary, I think it's permissible, but I don't know if it was necessary for him to say, maybe your God is going potty right now. You know what I mean? I feel like that was kind of a cherry on top, you know, just a little extra icing. I I feel like if Elijah had, had put the prophets of Baal to open public shame by calling down fire from heaven, from Yahweh, on his sacrifice and his altar, it would have been sufficient. It would have been obedience to the call of God. But Elijah says, you know what? Let's, let's get a little extra mileage out of this one. This is a big event. This is a great opportunity. And I never want to miss an opportunity to make fun of the enemies of God publicly. Um, it's great. We don't want to miss those opportunities. Right? So Elijah wasn't thinking, hey, how can I be winsome? Elijah was thinking, how can I rub it in? And I think there's a place at times for rubbing it in. That's, I think, exactly what Proverbs 18 is saying. There are times where we don't answer the fool according to his folly, lest we be like him. There are other times where we answer the fool according to his folly, meaning we step in. Greg Bonson would say it like this. He would say, there are times where you answer the fool according to his folly, meaning you actually engage with the fool's logic with his faulty logic, with his fallacies, and you force the fool to reconcile with the inevitable conclusions, logical conclusions to his faulty thinking. Right? So that's what Bonson would say. To answer the fool according to his folly is to say, okay, fool, you say A and B. Well, A plus B equals C. And C is something to the tune of you're dumb which that's always kind of the way that it works out in the case of the fool. So there are times where you can engage, you can step into the fool's pseudo world, right? Never leaving the foundation, right? This is presuppositional apologetics. It's Vantillian, it's Bonson, it's, uh, it's Voss, it's, it's Paul, it's Romans chapter one. Um, this, is, this is engaging on the offense. The, the, the Christian doesn't always have to be defending We want to always be prepared in season and out of season to give a defense for the hope in which we have. But but here's the deal. Our opponents, they have a defenseless position. And sometimes a good defense is an aggressive offense. And to say, well, wait a second. You're asking me to account for this. Great. I'll, I'll answer that. I'll humor you. But now you account. You account for this. You think that the ultimate supreme authority in all the universe is logic. 
But you believe that we came from sliming creatures in a primordial soup. You don't have a worldview that accounts for logic. So why should I submit to your interpretation of logic that cannot even exist according to the basis of your worldview? Eat it, fool. On, remind me, April 1st, I'll get you a present. We'll have a party. You know, that, that's your day. But you're, you're a fool. And so there are times that we engage. Elijah engages. Elijah is doing that. He is answering the fool according to his folly. Elijah is rubbing it in. And I say all that to say Elijah is not behaving and he doesn't possess the, the kind of rhetoric that, that would be what you would expect of a fearful man. A fearful man at most, at most, would simply do the bare minimum of what's required by God. A fearful man would not be taunting his enemies. Elijah was not fearful at Mount Carmel that day. But Elijah was very fearful to the point of asking God just to end his own life, to kill him, and on the run for his life, Elijah is very fearful just moments afterward. And not because Elijah made one decision on, on the day of the showdown at Mount Carmel, and then, and he did so, this decision fearlessly, and then he made another decision fearfully the next day. No, the next day, it's not this other decision, this other moment, this other instance. No, it's just, it's just the natural implications and consequences for what he already fearlessly did prior. And that I have found, I don't know about you, but I have found that that is a common occurrence, a normal experience of the Christian life. There are times where I know God is calling me to do something and I am wrestling with fear to do it. But there are other times where I know God is calling me to do something and by his grace, he supplies the faith to do it fearlessly. But then I begin to fear the implications of that decision I made fearlessly earlier on. And some of you are experiencing this even now. Some of you have made choices in a moment of faith, in a moment of trusting the promises of God, in a moment of, of where you were looking to the, the one who is invisible, and you were looking to the reward that is to come. And you were willing to, to tell the king of Egypt to take a hike. You were willing to revoke your, your identity and prestige as, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Whatever identity and, and notoriety you had in terms of the world's status, the boastful pride of life. You were willing to revoke and refuse and reject the, the temporal pleasures of Egypt, and you were willing to be mistreated with the people of God, and you were willing to reject the treasures of this world, the potential of what you could inherit in this life and from the world in its system. In a moment, you had faith. And you were able to reject all these things, trusting the one who is invisible, knowing that you had a better reward, better promises, higher esteem, higher honor, higher glory, and you made the tough decision and you didn't make it trembling, 
By God's grace and by supernatural faith that He supplies, you made that decision in courage. But today, you're sitting here at church incessantly recalculating whether or not you made the right choice. The choice you made fearlessly, you're fearing today the implications of that choice. And I think that that's a possible interpretation, not necessarily definitively the correct interpretation, but a possible interpretation of our text. All right, all right, all right. Stop twisting my arm. I know you want to hear the inside scoop. Here it is. The glorious vision of Right Response Ministries for the first half of next year, 2023. We have not one, not two, but three massive endeavors that we will accomplish by the grace of of God. The first you already know about. It's our Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference. This is selling out incredibly fast. By the time this commercial airs, you may not even be able to get a ticket. I, I, I really don't know. So don't waste another moment. Go to rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com to join us for the Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference next year. Now, this is where you come in. We need your help. Our next two endeavors are number one, a documentary style film, and number two, a brand new studio. Both of these things are seeking to accomplish one primary goal, which is excellent, high quality, glorious Christian media. We are tired of, of as Christians, doing things poorly. We've done our best with what we have, but by God's grace, we want to do even better. This is not going to be just another video. This is not going to be a sermon or an interview or a podcast, but we're going to make a documentary style film. And we're going to be hiring Nathan Anderson, the director of On Earth As It Is In Heaven, a very, very successful post-millennialism documentary that's on Amazon and YouTube, came out a couple years ago. He's going to be flying in from Chile to help us direct this film. And our documentary is going to be on postmillennialism and theonomy, why it's biblically valid, why it's absolutely necessary, and why, by the grace of God, theonomy and postmillennialism are currently on the rise. So we're going to make this film, and we need your support. And not just this film, but we're going to make all of our videos and podcasting and everything we do here at Right Response Ministries better. We want to achieve the highest level of quality and Christian excellence that we possibly can. That's where the new studio comes in. This new film, our, our date that we're shooting for is that it would be complete and publicly available in May or June of 2023, next year. The studio, our goal is that it would be completely done in its construction and the equipment and the setup and the stage and everything by January, February of 2023 next year. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. And for those of you who are willing to do so, we need your generous support. You can give towards these endeavors by going to rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Again, that's rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you so much for all your help. God bless. Thanks so much for listening, but real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.